This is the XC Podcast for Monday, August 24th, uh, 2020. We're coming back at you pretty quickly after a podcast we released late last week because, of course, just as I was editing the podcast, the London Marathon announced the long-awaited elite field for their race on October 4th which looks like it's going to be, and I know London's called it themselves this in the past, but the greatest marathon of all time. It's certainly going to be the most fascinating marathon, perhaps, well, at least in some time, but perhaps ever. Uh, so we decided to reconvene and turn around a pretty quick pod where we're going to talk in depth about the London field. We're going to take a, a deep dive on this uh, on this competitive list on both the women's and men's side. A few question marks as well, uh, some speculation, and we'll look at, we'll talk a little bit more about the course, about the other oddities of this unprecedented event. I'm just going to use the word unprecedented, just get it out of the way. It's part of pandemic bingo. Uh, I'm joined as always uh, by Alex Sear. How are you doing, Alex? Doing well. Good morning. And uh, Andrew Cruikshank. You've got your you've got your tea. Andrew's not a coffee drinker. Do you have your tea? <laughs> I don't this morning. Just uh, just my water bottle. I'm I'm a bit of a mess this morning. Rolled out of bed. So <laughs> yeah, we're recording this pretty early. Uh, we're fired up though. So um, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, the second Diamond League event of this year uh, at Stockholm. Uh, we'll tuck that in at the very end and chat a little bit about that. But first things first, we're going to get right into London. The fields were announced. Obviously, we knew that Kenanisa Bekele versus Elliot Kipchoge was on, was happening. That was the that's the big headliner, and uh, on the women's side, that Bridget Koskai, the world record holder, will be showing up and hopefully running a new world record or something extremely fast and competitive. Uh, but let's let's take a slightly deeper dive and look at this field uh, and evaluate whether or not it really is the greatest field of all time uh, in elite marathon running. Alex, why don't you take us out, unpack this field for us? Yeah, well, the first thing that we're going to notice when we're watching this race is that the fields are small, even more so for the women, for the men, 28 women, 45 men. And of course, like you mentioned, the marquee event is the battle between Kipchoge and Bikili. So small packaging in case you haven't been following Kipchoge has won nine, eight of nine major marathons. He's the only man to unofficially go under two hours, but Keeley, his rival was known as the best distance runner in history. He had the 5,000 meter and 10,000 meter record until the 5,000 meter record got beat last week by Joshua Cheptegei. but Bikili still has endless cross country titles. He's an Olympic champion multiple times. The pair have raced each other in the marathon four times with Kipchoge coming away with the win each time but they haven't raced since Bikili won Berlin last year in 201.41 which is just two seconds slower than Kipchoge's official world record so it's kind of being marketed as a clash of the titans but the funny thing about the men's field is that it may not be a runaway for either of them because also on the stock start line are a staggering eight sub 205 guys which is just crazy huh. one of them being Mazinet Garamu so he was last year's um, London Marathon runner up when he ran 202.55 so that's the fourth fastest marathon history so you can't sneeze at that so that's the men's field um, the women's field I think has the potential to be perhaps a bit more lopsided but nothing is really decided so um, same deal, six women under 220, so very, very deep, very top-heavy. Um, the world record holder, Bridget Koskai, she's the headliner, 214 last year, so she enters as the favorite. But the thing about Koskai is I don't think she's yet seen as somewhat unbeatable like Kipchoge is, and she's going to be chased pretty closely. You have 217 runner, Ruth Chepengetich, and 219 runner, Valerie Jamelli, they're both of Kenya. And so, yeah, we got two big races on our hands. Yeah, we'll, we'll unpack the uh, the Bekele v. Kipchoge race as well as talk a little bit about that competitive field on the women's side in a few seconds here. But Andrew, very quickly, 
beforehand, uh, let's take a look at kind of maybe a a 40,000 foot view of this idea of a race. Uh, so for you, what stands out for London? I mean, it's obviously, it's just like such a weird event that we're putting, that we're going to get to watch here. Yeah. As Alex mentioned, it's going to be really small fields. It's, it's elite only. Um, it's, it's not going to be a, a Vienna necessarily, like uh, when Kipchoge went sub two with flocks of pacers and a, a Tesla driving out front with the green light, that whole whole shtick. But it's going to be pretty close to that. The, the racers are going to tow the line inside a secure biosphere and run on a closed loop around St. James Park, which is flat and fast. I think when we, we measured it out, the loop looked to be about um, what was it? Two kilometers, maybe yeah, a little roughly two kilometers. Yeah. Uh, we've also got some. There will be some pacing, though. We've got Sir Mo Farah has decided to to grace us with his his pacing. He won't actually be racing, but he's going to help guide a group of guys toward the two eleven thirty kind of Olympic standard. So he'll be back from um, the front of the pack, probably. Uh, and then we have some other, some interesting people coming in. They're not necessarily the headliners like the Bekele versus Kipchoge um, or the cost guys, but we have a couple of Americans hopping, hopping the pond to come race this. There's Jared Ward, uh, who missed qualifying for the Olympics at the trials. Sarah Hall, who also missed it. Um, she actually DNF'd in, uh, in the Olympic trials, but she just ran a killer half, so she looks like she's in shape. And then Molly Seidel, who finished second at the trials and uh, is going to the Olympics, she's come out. I mean, she has has no real reason to beyond, I think, the fact that she doesn't have much experience with marathon running. So I think she's just trying to dip her toes in and get as as prepared as she can before the Olympics. Uh, And then all of this is going to be broadcast by BBC. They have full access to the event for eight hours because there's going to be no uh, no spectators, no one else. They're trying to keep it as limited as possible. So hopefully we can watch this somewhere on BBC uh, and, and anyone who, who runs fast here can actually technically qualify for the Olympics because World Athletics has shifted the qualification period from December 1st up to September 1st. So this, is, uh, this race is a big deal. People, people are going for Olympic qualifiers here. Alex, if, they, if the BBC just put together some insane like NFL Super Bowl style eight hour broadcast where they're in the hotel room, just doing random interviews, pulling people into chairs to talk to them leading up to the race, uh, following people around after the race. Like, would you just sit and, and, and stream that on your laptop for, for eight straight hours? I mean, I would, I'm <laughs> running, um, would people, <laughs> um, I think it's a cool opportunity. I mean, right now I think they're, is space on TV for that. It could, this could be, this could be an experiment to see um, how much people will tune into running and even beyond the actual race. See, I remember um, when um, they did the breaking two, the Nike breaking two challenge back in 2017, where they had Kipchoge, uh, Zersene, Tedeschi, and Lulisa de Sisa. Uh, Someone told me a story and you, you're, you followed it a bit closer, Michael. So you may be able to confirm this. Maybe you told me the story of when the three athletes finished, they went into the cafeteria and Nike had prepared a whole meal for them, like a bunch of food for them to eat and a bunch of junk food. Cause it was kind of a reward for, yeah. for having run, you know, and obviously Tedeschi and Decisa just chowed down on chips and chocolate and ice cream. And the rumor was that Kipchoge got himself a bowl of strawberries and a bowl of rice, sat down, ate it, and left. And see, it's like, it's something like that that I think <laughs> is really interesting to watch. It's like, what do these people do before the race, during, after? I think there's a lot of entertainment value there. I think it would be really cool. And again, see, right now, we probably have some some fringe fans, some people who, who are either starting to run or starting to watch running or who are tired of not ha- having as many sports to follow, tuning in. So this could be perfect time for some kind of experiment like that. I love the idea of like watching Kipchoge eat a bowl of strawberries and white rice <laughs> as entertainment. <laughs> that is dyed in the wool running fandom right there. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I have to admit I would watch the same. Um, let, but before we go dig a little deeper into this, uh, 
the spectacle of the elite only two kilometer looped London course, let's unpack the the heavyweight fight first in more detail. I mean, we'll do this again, obviously, as the race approaches, like race week will, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk for an hour about who's going to win and who's and what the performances are going to look like with a lot of speculation. But um, let's talk first about Bekele versus Kipchoge. And then uh, we can talk a little bit about the field uh, as a whole and what, what we like about it, uh, what we don't like about it, what we, who we would have wanted to see show up and that sort of thing. Um, so Andrew, Bekele versus Kipchoge, let's talk a little bit about personality first. Um, this is kind of like, I think, I think that this race is brilliant as an entertainment because of these two leading figures, personalities. They're, they're a little bit different, um, but yet they're both at the top of their game. Uh, what do we see when we see like Bekele versus Kipchoge? I mean, Alex just alluded to the uh, strawberries and white rice versus eating M and M's after a race. Um, what what do you think? What do you think uh, Bekele eats after a race? I, I just uh, well, I I think he'd be the the binger. To be honest, um, he'd be the one who'd, who'd just chow down after the Nike laid out a feast for him. But I just wanted to say I think it's it's hilarious the um, the, the comparison to the Super Bowl. Just because I, I just saw a, uh, I was perusing social media this morning and I saw the London Marathon had posted this, uh, it's like a, a poster, I guess, to try and get people hyped up, the Kipchoge versus the Kele. Um, and it's a picture of the two of them. The background is kind of purple and wavy. It, it almost looks like a poster for like uh, the Aladdin musical a little bit. And it, it's the two of them standing there. The Kele is doing like the splits in the center of it and Kim Choke is just standing there next to him like he's his trainer or something like just looking at him as if he's kind of nodding and, and I just thought at, like with all the the kind of Super Bowl promotion when you see these tough guys with arms crossed and stuff like that here are these two guys just <laughs> they looked hilarious but I, I I mean from what what I've heard I've, I've obviously I've never met either of them personally but Kipchoge is a pretty stoic kind of reserved guy. He's, he's about the training. And, and as Alex alluded to, he's, he's pretty, uh, he really sticks to it. He's pretty disciplined. Whereas it sounds like Bekele is a little bit more, he's unbelievably talented, but he doesn't like training that much from what I've heard. Uh, he doesn't like the hard work as much. I think he'll do it because he's competitive and he wants to win, but he's not he doesn't have the same kind of discipline as as Kipchoge does so whether that that ends up being his uh the factor that kind of brings him down and and allows Kipchoge to run away with it I I don't know I think we're like seeing I think there's there's um we're becoming biased against Bikili just because he's up against such a perfect figure like and we were talking about this in the last podcast too like with with Bikili it's like we're seeing him as the villain of this battle and like the undisciplined, the rebellious one of the two. When in reality, like he's probably so, so to the book, but he's facing friggin' Buddha. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you do when you face Buddha? There's no, there's a, Bikili was probably, I bet he was so, so, so stuck on his training, but yeah, sure. I'm sure he's the guy who eats a chocolate bar every now and then when, when, when Kipchoge doesn't, but well, also, I think what we did hear about Bikili was that he had a hard time with coronavirus and he's a germaphobe and he didn't like training with people. He kind of had a hard time navigating that. It was a, it was a difficult situation in Ethiopia. There was a lot of political unrest. Um, so there perhaps was that. I think a feature that Kipchoge has that Bikili doesn't is, or that maybe no one doesn't does, is that he can stay the course no matter what's going on around him. I watched far too much race footage uh in preparation for this and it's funny you mentioned that um Bekele, <clears throat> Bekele is sort of seen as the the underdog or the villain in all of this like as of last night I got myself I'm sort of convincing myself at one o'clock in the morning that Bekele is going to win this thing I watched I watched his Berlin race last year and I'd forgotten that he so he wins and he comes 
just two seconds shy of the world record. And I'd forgotten that he actually dropped off and fell back like a hundred meters um, in, in at about 30 K and it took him about five kilometers to work his way back. So he was in no man's land in the marathon that he ends up almost breaking the world record in steamrolls the two guys ahead of him comes back and runs this incredible last five kilometers where he just like totally throws it down, which to me is the distinct difference between these two figures. Uh, Kip Chogi has almost has never made a mistake. I don't think he's ever made a mistake in a single race. Even his second place that you mentioned off the top, Alex, uh, in Berlin, that was during a world record run by uh, uh, Wilson Kipsang at, at the time. He ran the 203 world record a few years ago. And that was very early in, in Kipchoge's career he, as a marathoner. He'd only run one previous marathon in Frankfurt. So, And he, he ran a brilliant race, and it was very controlled. So Kipchoge does not make mistakes. And is also at the same time very rarely been challenged. Whereas I feel like Bekele's career is has been much more up and down. He's uh, he's dropped out of races. Uh, he's come in uh, unfit in in to a couple of races. Uh, I think of I believe it was du- Dubai in particular where he DNF'd. Where he he came in, he looked he looked like he was unfit, and he also I guess there was an injury issue as well, and he's had stress fracture issues in the last few years during his marathon training, and that sort of thing. So he's been really up and down, but also at the same time he has shown this tenacity mid race to make these incredible adjustments. And I just wonder if he can get Kipchoge into an uncomfortable place that he's never been in before and challenge Kipchoge to do something he's never had to do in his marathoning career. Um, One thing that was kind of cool that I was mentioned in one of the NN running videos. Now NN is the, uh, the agency that represents both of these guys and they've been doing some documentary stuff in the last year with both of them, which has been pretty cool. One of the things that Bekele mentions is um, he likes to be in front if he can be. So he likes to lead the race if he can lead it, which is kind of a, a curious uh, tactic. Whereas Kipchoge, uh, he doesn't say one way or another whether he likes to lead. I don't think that would be Kipchoge's style to be kind of like that brash he likes but, to have five guys around him, all wearing black shirts and shorts. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He likes the he likes his entourage that are working with formation. him. Uh, but Kipchoge, for example, uh, last year, uh, I, I sorry, I rewatched his uh, world record run in 2018, and he he and his pacing pacers ran solo the entire race, and the his. Last pacer dropped off at, I think it was 25K, couldn't even handle 30K. And he ran the rest of that world record run by himself, which is very similar to what he's done recently uh, in other races as well. He's not really been challenged. He was only really challenged in London. Um, actually, let's talk a little bit about that challenge. It's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, Alex, uh, the last time he was challenged was London. It was late in the race. I think it was, there was only about about an hour and 55 minutes into the London marathon. He was, he was challenged by somebody else who was in uh, this, who was going to be in this field. Uh, there's actually a few guys that are, that were in that race that, that gave him a hard time. Um, do you think that any of these secondary players are going to, uh, are going to give either of these guys a run? It depends. Um, if Kipchoge is on a hundred percent and Bikili's on a hundred percent, no, but the thing is, the difference between a 202 high and a 201 mid marathon is so small. You know, it's a minute, but it's so small. And if Garamu is in his best fitness, you know, there's not really any room for error. And the other thing is, if you have the two, like Kipchoge and Bikili know what's up. They know they're there to beat each other. If it so happens that one of them is feeling good and goes out at a, a breakneck pace, the other one's going to go with him just to make sure that that he has a chance at winning. And if it's not there on the day, this is kind of conducive to a blow up, right? So I think if someone doesn't have a second half, um, Garamu's in it. Garamu is close. Um, you have a bunch of other guys. The the one athlete that I wish I would see in the start list, and he's 
kind of perhaps the only one that I that I think is is really missing is Burhanu Legese, who is actually the third fastest marathoner in history, um, Ethiopian, two hundred two forty eight. Um, but no, to me, if someone does uh, does pull off the upset, it's likely Garamu. Um, if I had to bet on it, I would say he's finishing second. I would. Hey, put, you stole my like. You stole my bold prediction. I ah. got to got to be quick on it. I'm saying Kipchoge one, Garamu two, and Bikili three. That's, that's my that's my take. But I will say this: if Bikili's on, he wins, and this is why. So I'm okay. I'll take it back to the breaking two again in 2017. And I remember watching this document, like Nike made it all fancy, right? They had a documentary and they were looking into their training and stuff like that. And um, they had, they were talking about Zersine Tedesi, who ended up finishing way behind Kipchoge. And they were making the case that physiologically, he was the best. He was best at clearing lactate. And whereas Kipchoge already had perfect training and there wasn't much that they could change about Kipchoge. They could change a whole lot about Tedeschi. Like, for example, I don't think he was drinking water or whatever. But the revelation there was that it wasn't that Kipchoge was physiologically perfect, is that he was mentally perfect, meaning that there are people out there who physiologically are more talented than Kipchoge. So in the event that Bikili comes in and has, you know, mentally is just as on as Kipchoge, which is possible. If you're on, you're on, then he beats him. Uh, Andrew. Now, presumably, they're going to have pacers. They typically do in London. Um, I mean, they've got Mo Farah coming in to pace the uh, Olympic qualifying time, the 2.11.30 attempt. Uh, I guess predominantly it's going to be British athletes. We'll see some Canadian and Australian and other athletes as well going after those uh, quali- Olympic qualifying times. Um, but do you, do you think that... Uh, there's a way that's that Bekele could could sort of change things up and challenge things in a different way. Like, I mean, I guess if they're locked in at a pace, I mean, so in the technical meeting the night before, they have a technical meeting the night before the race. And in the technical meeting, uh, everyone kind of reveals what they're going to do uh, in both camps. Bekele and Kipchoge will have their pacers there. Everyone will kind of know what the pace will be. They may even announce it beforehand. Um, but I just, I wonder if there's a way Bekele can, uh, ruffle or attempt to ruffle Kipchoge's feathers. How would he do that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, I think as we we've, we've been talking, he, he is a bit of a wild card in comparison. I, I mean, when you were referring to his, his run, when he ran, went to a one, he kind of fell off the back and then came storm back to the front. I, he wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I don't think he'd be the type of guy who would like try to blast past the pacers early on to screw with Kipchoge, but I could see him being a guy who maybe drops off his shoulder a little bit. Kipchoge doesn't see him anymore. And then kind of you get in the last four or five days. Yeah. He kind of storms by and uh, starts a kick early or something like that. And maybe he doesn't hold it, but I feel like he's more likely to play around with the pace, whereas Kipchoge is more likely to kind of stick right on the pacers and stay with them and aim for the time that he he's declared. And who knows? Maybe maybe we'll get really lucky. Maybe Kipchoge will say, "I'm going for for sub two hours here." Maybe we'll see a, a legitimate sub two hours on on a legitimate course, and it'll be the new world record. I think that that would be pretty cool. And then I don't know whether Bekele could kind of mess around with him there. That'd be pretty hard because that's a, a pretty blistering pace. So. Alex, the women's race, uh, perhaps not as much sizzle, which is a crazy thing to say, considering you've got Bridget Koskai, the reigning world record holder, saying that she can run faster. So presumably we're going to get world record pace in London. Um, but that just I speaks to the uh, importance and weight of the 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 uh, Bekele versus Kipchoge race, I guess. But let's look a little bit at the women's race because it's actually quite an interesting uh, one as well. And I think a little bit more up in the air, certainly than the men's side. Uh, who else are we looking at? You, you've sort of, you've br- broken down a couple of the competitors, um, but what do you, how do you think this one's going to f- unfold? Yeah. In any other year, this race steals the show, but, uh, yeah, this is not any other year. So yeah, with cost guy, sure. She's the favorite, but number two and number three on my list, I think are also pretty interesting. So 
Um, Ruth Chepengetich is a, I think, is flying under the radar just because cost guys there, just because there's so much attention on the men's race. But this is a 217 runner, and she's also the defending world champion. She won the marathon in Doha. And the interesting thing about her is that she runs without a coach. She'd rather train by herself. It's working for her. She's a 26-year-old. She has twins, and she's killing it on the scene right now. Um, I, so, so let me just interrupt there. I've got a quote I found. Uh, I, I found in a, a Kenyan sports site uh, that did an interview with her recently. She says, "I've, I've never, uh, I've never trained under a regular coach. Not because I don't value the work coaches do, but because I think I am better off without one." I want to have my own program without someone telling me what to do. After all, I have come this far without one, and I am uh, planning to stay like that for now. It's like hey, it's a little bit of fire right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like don't fix what's what's not broken, right? And she's had she's had a big four years um, behind her. So hey, who knows? It's uh, it's a bold strategy, but it might just work. To quote the dodgeball movie. Wow, you just quoted the dodgeball movie. Amazing. I wasn't expecting that this morning. Um, Andrew, there is like one. There was I, but it kind of just came out. There's one elephant in the room here that I I feel compelled to bring up. Um, I know it's kind of like the the cloud that looms over distance running always, but where uh, where there are a couple of small asterisks, we have to talk about them. For one, both Kaskai and um, Chepton Gedich's agent is Federico Rosa, who is somebody who's had a lot of associations with uh, suspended athletes, doping uh, with doping violations. Uh, I think about Rita, Rita Jeptu, who Rosa was agented, uh, as well as uh, Aspel Kiprop recently, who was suspended for doping, uh, also a Rosa athlete as well as Gemma Sumgong, who won the Olympic gold medal in 2016 in the marathon, also has been suspended for doping violations, also a Rosa athlete. I hate to make that illusion, but, I mean, it's important to point this out. Um, Do you think that that, like, is that... I don't even know where we go from here with with that. that. It's just, I feel like it's something that needs to be stated. Um, What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely you do worry about it. I mean, I think with any great performances, right. It's, it's always kind of at the back of your mind, especially when they're, they're tied to someone who has had some, some shady dealings in the past. Um, I know with Costco, I, I believe I read somewhere as well that she actually missed two testings, I think throughout her career, which um, has kind of just been been swept under the rug. Like nothing's really come of that. She hasn't been suspended. There's been no ban, nothing like that. Um, yeah, but but it does make you kind of wonder what's going on there a little bit more, especially when she's running times like like two fourteen. Like that's that's unbelievably fast. So you yeah, I don't know. You don't want to speculate, and, and you don't want to say that's that's why she did it. But you do wonder whether. Five years from now, something's going to come out, and, and we're going to see see that world record in a different light. Hopefully not. Yeah, I I think it's unfair to someone like Koskai to, on the one hand, we look at um, Kipchoge, and perhaps it's the marketing, perhaps it's just his personality, uh, but we give him a lot of benefit of the doubt. He's putting down these extraordinary performances. He runs under two hours for the marathon in obviously a, um, a controlled event that doesn't count for the world record, but still, he still physically does it. And very few people are calling into question that performance or his world record performance. Whereas I think with Koskai, listen, everyone I've spoken to that follows the sport uh, very closely, whether they'll admit it publicly or not, when she broke that world record, I think a lot of people were like, uh, I didn't think that record was ever going to get broken, or this seems a little bit extraordinary. Um but that said, you know, like let's, I think we, she's deserves the benefit of the doubt. Although I, I think it is fair to bring up those associations. If she did not want to be associated with dopers, uh, fire your agent and distance yourself from that person. Um, and I'm actually surprised when athletes don't do that. 
Uh, and also, yeah, the, the, the missed tests is a very big question mark because it's not been, I don't think officially flagged by the, uh, world athletics, uh, integrity unit who oversees her testing. Um, although their, her coach has admitted that she's missed at least two tests, if not three. So, and if you miss three tests, you get suspended. So, uh, that's an interesting, that's an interesting caveat to this story. Alex, the numbers, what's cost guy have to run to run, to run the best performance of the day. Say, say a world record is broken on the men's side. So say two two Oh one, um, becomes two Oh one low or, or two hours or even one fifty nine high, which would be crazy. Uh, what's the equivalent that cost guy or someone else in the women's field has to throw down? Yeah, I'm happy you ask. It's in just before just a small, um, a, a small curve. Um, it's I just find it funny that people were so suspicious about cost guys time because yeah, if you look at the IAAF scores and I think they have some accuracy, you look at the 214.04 that she ran and that converts to a 202.42 for the men, which has been run by a few people. Mere so, mortal time for men. Yes. Yeah. It's average. And you, you have, so you look at, you look at, okay, say Kipchoge's 201.39 for a woman to run the equivalent on the IWF tables, that would be a 212.07. And what's the equivalent of a 159 high you ask? Just about a 208 mid for women. <laughs> Will we see Cost Guy run a 208 mid? Um, I say it's unlikely. Maybe with maybe with controlled conditions. Um, but okay, say she runs 212. Here's a thought experience. She runs 212. What are people going to say? She's doping, she's doping, she's doping. But people aren't saying that about Kipchoge's 201. And according to the tables, it's equivalent. Right. Yeah, that's a fair point. Fair point. I don't think we're going to see a 208 in London. I'm, I'm going to make a bold <laughs> prediction that we're not going to see that. Um, Andrew. Maybe O'Farrah finishes the race. <laughs> ouch. So, okay, let's talk about throwing the shade on Mo Farah. Let's talk a little bit about Mo Farah. So he's somebody who um, I think, Sir I think Sermo, sorry. Uh, he's He has been knighted. Uh He's somebody who obviously um, is considered one of the great track and field athletes of all time. It hasn't really gone well for him in the marathon. I th- I think the fact that he is pivoting back to pacing uh, in anticipation of running the 2021 Tokyo Olympics on the track indicates that he's done with the marathon. Like he's going to pace this London marathon, get a nice little paycheck for showing up and giving them giving London a little bit more juice. Uh, and then he's going to fade off into the sunset. Andrew, is that, is that your call as well? Or, or do you think he's actually going to revisit the marathon after Tokyo? No, that's my impression too. I, I can't see him coming back to the marathon. He's, he's given it his, his go. And I think he's realized, Holy crap. These guys like Kipchoge are so much faster than me. I don't stand a chance. I think he, he's used to being the, the top guy. He's used to being the one winning the Olympic gold. And, and now that he doesn't have that, he's realized he's kind of backtracking and is, is running back to the track where he, he was dominant. But it'll be interesting to see. I wonder if maybe he's waited too long. Now you've got Chepta guy there who's looking very dominant. He's very young and he's, he's breaking world records. He's running times that even Farah couldn't touch when, when he was on the track. So I, I don't know. Maybe... Farah's career, I think, is is kind of he might. I I wouldn't be surprised if he has a good showing at the Olympics, but I don't think he'll be as dominant as he he was in the past. Yeah, I, I well, this is perhaps a different conversation for a different day, but I do now wonder what those the five thousand and ten thousand and ten thousand in Tokyo are going to look like. Uh, I think the dynamic is so different now, um, Alex. There are it's an interesting field. Uh, there. It feels like, although there's some crazy depth and incredible uh, resumes on paper, it also kind of feels like it's missing a few other components. Like this is, it seems like this would be the race that every single top flight marathoner in the world would be clamoring to get into somehow. Who, okay, say say you're um, say you're the one putting together the elite field in London. 
Okay, you've got these names. Say you've got like, uh, I don't know, five or five or so other slots available on the men's and women's side. Is there anybody else that you want to see uh, for entertainment's sake uh, in order to make it a more global race? Maybe you want to get some more Americans in there. Like who else do you want to see in this race that you're kind of a little disappointed they're not they're not showing up? Um, one, women come, one woman comes to mind, two men. So Callum Hawkins, I'd love to see. Yeah. He, he's a gamer, you know, is he's not going to contest. I don't think for a top three or an even top five in a field like that, but we've seen him grind and he's a really, uh, quickly fast, quickly rising star. And, um, I think he would, he would provide just some, some entertainment, He'd be fun to see. You may not see him in the front camera, but it would be interesting to see how he fares out against the rest. Um, Lalisa DeSisa, I would love to see in this race because he's a gamer, right? He's someone who can compete until the end. He's been in some sprint finishes. He won the world championship last year. I'm not sure if there's a status on DeSisa. I'm not sure if there's an injury, but to me, I think he's the one who's who's really missing on the top end of the men's field. Um, and on the women's side, I would have loved to see work Nash Degefa of Ethiopia. 217 runner as well. Um, kind of goes back and forth with Chep and Getich. They've been they've been within a minute for most of their careers. They're similar age. Um, and and uh, both of them ran their best times in Dubai last year. So I think she would have been a great add-on. But, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to know what the situation is with these athletes right now. Um, there's limited spots in the field, though I bet had any of these athletes expressed some interest, they would have been in. Uh, but, yeah, these are my, uh, my few... Uh, missing horses in this, in this field. Andrew, I'll pose the question to you as well. What, what, who do you think, uh, who do you think's missing here? Or who would you, who would you add to your dream list of this, uh, the starting field? It might take some more ones. I I'm surprised aren't there. Um, there's a few athletes who I, I thought would, would kind of show up to this. It would be a good chance, especially for some who are maybe still trying to get Olympic qualifying times. Um, I know on the American side, it's kind of cemented now who's going, but I'm surprised to not see, say, like a, a Jordan Hesse show up and, and try to run a fast time. She's, I, unless she's injured or, or sick or, or taking a break, I, I have no idea, but I would think she'd be one who'd want to kind of get some redemption after the after what happened at the trials. Uh, another one is, is Galen Rupp. I know there's no reason for him to. He's kind of like a Seidel. He's, he's qualified. Uh, he ran away from the field at the Olympic trials, but he's still, I don't know, is he just not going to race until the Olympics next year? I, I would think this would be the ideal time for these guys to get in a fast marathon and kind of prep for, for next year. Um, and then I, I, I'm a little curious. This is more on the, the Canadian content side that we don't have, there are very few Canadians. There's the Canadian field is still open for Olympic qualifying. We kind of have our top two spots cemented, but there are uh, top one spot on, on the men's and women's side cemented, but there's still room for other people to qualify like a, a Cam Levins, for instance, I assumed he was going to still run another fast one somewhere and, and try to get a spot. Uh, we were joking before we, we started. The only Canadian who's running is, uh, is Tristan Woodfine who, the poor guy is is a uh, he's a he's a really solid marathoner. He's run he ran two thirteen at, at Toronto last year, and I I think he's he's got room to to get faster. But we we're even even joking when he ran that two thirteen, he finished second. He was the second Canadian to finish, and he wasn't even shown on the broadcast ever. He he snuck in. So so as we were saying, we wouldn't be surprised if he shows up to this London marathon. You never see him once, but he ends up breaking the Canadian record or something and running like 208 or 209 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wonder if that happens. Uh, yeah, I'm I, Cam Levins is a guy who is a well-known in North America, popular athlete. He's got that kind of uh, that NCAA lore around him for being like that, all that mega training he was doing while he was in college and has had a lot of ups and downs in his career. But now, you know, he, he holds the, the Canadian record. He's a sub two ten marathoner. There's a sense that particularly based on his, uh, his track times that he can run significantly faster than that. I'm surprised he's not in this field. Maybe it just didn't fit. Maybe there just isn't a number or like a, a pacing group that's going to run around what it would be around 207 208 is probably what he would want to 
to attempt at this stage. I know he's he is fit right now. He just threw down a time trial half marathon on his own, uh, I believe out in Oregon where he lives, and, uh, and ran a, a personal best, even though I know it doesn't really count. But still, like he ran, I think it was 102. So, which is nuts to think about. You just like go out your front door and run a jog a 102 a, a low 60s half marathon on your own <laughs> that, i mean that shows that you are fit that shows maybe you are even closer to an hour if you're you're in a big race so uh, even him and jared ward i think could have made you know an interesting race between the two i think they right. have similar these and he's in the field so yeah curious kind of quickly molly seidel that was a name that you mentioned andrew uh she came second in the u.s olympic trials uh last year or a million years no, earlier this year <laughs> even it feels like 10 years ago um she's gonna be she will for sure be running in tokyo barring an injury she's got that spot so this is kind of cool that she's jumping into london uh, do you what do you expect out of that with sidel i i mean i spoke to uh to her coach John Green a, a little while ago and and they were yeah they're very relaxed about it I I kind of like their approach I mean they want her to be in shape but I think they see her as a, a pretty young athlete who's still gaining a lot of experience in the marathon and um, it, it seems like you know as much as their 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 plan is to have her sharpened and ready to go she's going to be ready to race come Olympic time I I think right now it's it's kind of just like training period for her a little bit I think this is this is experience I think it's I mean, if she comes out with a PB, that's fantastic. But I don't think it's, you know, she's going to be trying to go with, with cost guy or, or the front of the field or anything. I think she's just getting used to the distance and, and I could see her, her running fast. I could see her taking, taking a couple seconds or a minute, even off her, her time. I love the fact that she entered this race. I mean, she, the, the Olympic trials qualifier was her debut marathon and she ran two twenty-seven and a half and qualified for the Olympics. It's kind of a dream, right? And You'd imagine with her talent level, it's nowhere up from here, nowhere but up from here. So you're thinking that she runs mid 220s, maybe even low 220s. That's a great step from her for her. Obviously, she exposes herself a little bit if she steps off the course or runs a lackluster time. Say she runs, I mean, I hate to say this, but like if she runs a 227 or, or slower from here, from here on in, I, I'm sure the the let's run boards will light up and people will start criticizing her and questioning the approach to the Olympic trials and the fact that, you know, like, Oh, maybe she's not the best athlete for sending, but I think she's got a lot of talent. And I, I like the fact that she is taking this as an opportunity. I think that far too often runners hide from races and instead of just racing and going for it they wait for the perfect moment and as we know particularly with the marathon the perfect moment is a really hard thing to engineer it's an impossible thing to engineer because there's just too many variables that are out of your control uh so this is for me like the akin uh, akin to like uh, a batter is standing in the batter's box uh and he gets three balls thrown at him and he's given the opportunity to either swing or take ball four and take the easy walk the easy walk would be to just not show up in london and wait for tokyo next year and she's just like to hell with this i'm going i'm swinging for the fences right now what's the worst that could happen a strike no big deal i'll get over it um yeah alex i the my my wish list would have been more americans although i know the u.s is going through a lot of issues with coronavirus right now and i imagine they I imagine the protocol for this, they're going to create a hermetically sealed biosphere. <laughs> uh, and so it would, I would assume there would be kind of like a, at least a two, you know, maybe a two week or at least a week lockdown for athletes as they show up and, and enter this uh, closed environment. So I imagine it might be a, a bit of a challenge for American athletes in particular right now, but it would have been cool to see, think about like, mo, uh, Galen Rupp, sorry, was was mentioned earlier. It would have been fun to see him take a free swing at this. Um, other female athletes that didn't bode so well in the U.S. Olympic trials and aren't going to the Amer- aren't going to the Olympics that could show some serious fitness and make a step forward. People like uh, like Kellen Taylor, uh, like Molly Huddle, um, obviously Hall. Jordan Jordan Hesse. You know, Sarah Hall is running, which is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, but it would have been cool to see more Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Jake Riley, who yeah. uh, I think is kind of the the Seidel equivalent, kind of like the low key surprised Olympic qualifier, um, the one who's perhaps being questioned still by by the skeptics could come there just blast a marathon and kind of get everyone quiet but yeah he would have been fun to see again um yeah so final thing we'll talk about here before we quickly move on to stockholm and close the pod out is uh the the broadcast itself this is an entertainment um guys i think that this could become one of the big sports events of the year you think about how rocky this international sports schedule has been throughout the the pandemic a lot of events have not been able to happen. Who knows what's going to happen with, you know, American football and that sort of thing. Champions League and, and um, soccer, global football just happened this past weekend without a, a, an issue. So that did take place. But, you know, a lot of these, a lot of leagues are, are having a difficult time and it gives this sort of, and the Olympics are obviously not happening. So there's a weird space in the sports world for a, big time heavyweight fight like Kipchoge versus uh Bekele to take a lot of uh a lot of the oxygen in the room on that weekend. Um do you think that this do you think that this actually becomes a more uh impactful race in distance running than next year's Olympics? Maybe. I think it's all about the way that it's packaged. Like I remember when Kipchoge broke two uh, though artificially, it just boomed all over social media and it crossed this threshold at one point where it wasn't just the runners and the running fans that were amazed. It was everyone. Like I'm going out in the street and people who know that I run, who don't run would ask me like, what, what was the deal with this guy in the marathon and two hours? What am I seeing this guy wearing that white singlet? And people cared. And once they found out they really cared. So I think the problem with that was that no one really knew what was happening until it happened though. A lot of people didn't tune into that other than the running fans. If this marathon ends up being marketed as, call it the best marathon in history, the best showdown in history, which is not, you know, it's not a stretch. um, Then, yeah, then people can can rally behind it. We're a month and a half away. There's time for that. And people want sports right now. I'm sure people want sports right now. As a hardcore fan, Andrew, I... um... I have to admit that I'm pretty excited to watch a major marathon where they don't hopefully don't miss the breaks, uh, <laughs> the big breaks in the race. And they're not cutting to like some dude in a, in a, you know, old, uh, an old diver, uh, costume trying to run an eight hour marathon to set a Guinness world record at the back of the pack. Like, just stay with the race and the race is the most interesting part. And I think for once we're going to get to see an unvarnished uh, marathon uh, with a high production value. I suppose we get it in the Olympics. Um, but this, this, yeah, it could be, it could be special. Are you, are you, do you think, do you think that they'll do anything different? Like, do you think they'll light up the the course like they did on the track with the world record recently? That was kind of a cool that'd, detail. Yeah, that'd be very cool. I, I was talking to my partner about it and, and we were saying even um, a, a comparison might be the, the Olympic marathon trials, like the U S Olympic marathon trials yeah. where despite it being a, a huge field in comparison, it was just competitive athletes. And so they weren't, you're right. They weren't cutting away to Guinness world record attempts or to, to charities. And, and as much as that is a, a great thing to have, and it makes a really fun atmosphere for a marathon, you, you kind of want to see the actual racing. Like if you're watching it on TV, that's what you're there for. You're, you're there to watch these, these top athletes at the front. And, and I think uh, the U S Olympic marathon trials did uh, a good job with that it was uh it was fun to watch them they they covered most of the breaks pretty well and uh and we got to see the athletes really fight it out and i i hope they do the same here in london that they they kind of stick with the top guys and and are not afraid to kind of move between storylines a little bit as long as they have it covered you know because sometimes there there are exciting stuff in the the chase pack that happens when when one guy breaks away from the chase pack hopefully it's not just stuck on one person for the entire race. Hopefully not. We'll leave this for now. We've, I think we've 
gone uh, in depth and beyond. And I clearly the three of us are excited for this race. I can't wait for October. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that in the, that, in the middle of summertime, but uh, I, I'm really excited to see what this, uh, how this pans out. Have, if either of you in the last uh, 72 hours, have you either of you wavered from your, your previous predictions? In the last 72 hours? Well, no. The last time we talked about this. I mean, we talked mm. about this earlier than that, but... I have this, I have this theory that, and again, this is, this is crapping on poor Bikili, but I have this theory that when Chepty guy broke his five, broke Bikili's 5k world record, it demoralized him and he's going to come in just not a hundred percent and it's going to go. That's why Garamu's taken second and Bikili's holding on for third. No, no, no. That, that, that the, the world record angered, you poked the bear. He angered, that angered him. Oh, oh. I, we'll see. This is going to reveal a lot about Bikili. It certainly will. It certainly will. And uh, Andrew, you, are you sticking with the the one two prediction from previous uh, from a previous pod? Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm still a, a Kipchoge fan there. Although I'm, I'm kind of curious. Like you, Alex, I, I've, I've kind of thought about. I mean, obviously, I've never held a world record, so I, I have no idea what the feeling's <laughs> like. But to have it broken by someone, what what is that like? I I always imagine that, like. Um, Paula Radcliffe, when she had to pose with Koskai after the race and, and take uh, pictures and kind of give her a hug and stuff after she broke her record, I, I always just imagine a, a tear kind of rolling down Paula Radcliffe's her cheek. So I, I don't know. I mean, Bikaley can actually answer to it. So so maybe this has pissed him off and he's, he's going to run well, better because of it. Well, I'm from the smallest province in Canada. So if you're from there, chances are at some point you get a provincial record and chances are at some point you also get them beat. Someone beats it and it's brutal. It sucks. It takes a while to get over it. So I don't think, I don't think Bikili will be over it by October, maybe next year. I, yeah, I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to modify my prediction. I think I'm going to slot one of the contenders in second place. There's going to be something that's going to happen. And for now, I'm not going to bet against Kipchoge. So it's got to be Bekele, who's the odd man out. I just, I watched, a, I watched a bunch of their performances and it just sticks in my head that uh, Garamu, uh, Wasian and Kitada, who are all racing London, hung with Kipchoge until, uh, you know, nearly two hours into that race and really gave him a tough time um, in London last year. And that Bekele can kind of yo-yo back and forth between, he's the most, he he's the most fallible between the two. So I think that one of these contenders is, I think at least one of them is going to be looming with these two guys deep into the race. And one of them will go off, either will attack and Kipchoge will respond or Kipchoge will start to pull and one of those guys is going to follow and everyone else will start to crack in half. That's my prediction right now. We'll see where this goes. All right, we're going to tuck in a little quick conversation about uh, the Diamond League meet that went down over the weekend. It's the second uh, big international meet to take place post-COVID-19 shutdown. at least with athletes in person. Andrew, tell us a, a little bit about the performances. It's sort of a continuation of what we saw uh, the previous week in Monaco. A lot of uh, a lot of familiar faces. Kind of a cool set of rivalries that are starting to develop. What were what were the big highlights for you? Yeah, no world records this time, but but still some really impressive times run in uh, in Stockholm. Uh, one of the probably the most notable was uh, Norwegian Karsten Warholm, who's, who's famous for his scream meme. Um, Love that guy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's great. But uh, he ran a, a PB in the four hundred meter hurdles of forty six point eight seven. That makes him just zero point zero nine seconds slower than the world record. So, oh. so this guy's. This guy's on fire. That's like that a, hurts. that's a, that's a, what is that? A, a finger, a hand, a, yeah, maybe just a, oh, I guess it's, hair. It's, it's the a chest. It, what in sprints, is it the chest that needs to cross the plane to count? I think so. So it's like a big chest lean, uh, away. Yeah. Oh man. 
but he ended up beating the field by almost three seconds, which was, was the most impressive. And then he, he came back and he did a, a double, he did a 400 meter race after that. And he won it in 45.05, which supposedly is the fastest 400 meter hurdles, 400 meter double ever of all time. So pretty impressive. Uh, and then there were some other fast races on the men's side. There was in the 800 meters, Donovan Brazer is continuing his, uh, his domination. A lot of people kind of criticized him early on when he was young, 19 years old. They said he, he was an unbelievable talent, but he, he wasn't showing any consistency. And now all he's doing is just ticking off 143. He's just winning every diamond league. In this race, he was boxed in in fourth, I think, with like a lap to go and didn't look like he was going to pull it off. And then somehow just slipped out past the field, got the gears going and, and won it, which was he's, he's looking very impressive and very dominant. Uh, and shout out to uh, to 21 year old Canadian Marco Arop, who's who's even still in school technically at, at uh, down in Mississippi. Uh, he's quickly showing that he's one of the top 800 meter runners in the world. He finished second behind Brazier here, running 144. He finished third in Monaco, also running 144. So he's he's really coming on strong. Uh, and then we had another face off between. Jim Chariot and Jakob Ingebrigtsen, uh, they faced off in the 1500 meter again, and it went exactly as it did in Monaco. Uh, Chariot took it from the, the gun. He kind of created a little bit of a gap, and then Ingebrigtsen reeled him in, and they went 1-2 with Chariot taking the win again in uh, 3.30.25. So a little slower than Monaco, but but not by much. Uh, and then on the women's side, we had some the Brits. The Brits showed up, and they really cleaned up. Uh, Laura Mir ran a world lead time in the 1500 meters of 357.86. She totally destroyed the field in the last 400 meters. She dropped like a 59 second last lap. It goes to show, you know, you feel a little bad for her because I don't think she's medaled on any major stage. I don't think she has any Olympic or world medals. And yet she's clearly one of the most, most dominant 1500 meter runners out there. And I think she needs a couple more races like this where she can really show her speed at the end like that and, and just take people down. Uh, and then she was followed in second and third by Laura Whiteman and Melissa Courtney Bryant uh, in 401, who are also both Brits. And then in the women's 800, Gemma Riki ran away from uh, Raven Rogers, the American, and uh, Riki won in 159.52. So she's uh, looking very strong as well. So some impressive results. Alex, that it's, it's becoming quite a fun thing to follow. I'm, and now I'm curious to see how things are going to shake out in the next Diamond League meet because you're seeing you're seeing the sort of building of little mini rivalries taking place and some top athletes that have decided, you know, I'm, I'm super fit right now. Uh, I know there's nothing, quote unquote, nothing to run for. And so I'm going to use that freedom to throw down some crazy fast times. Uh, but who are some athletes that you would like to see get on a plane and hope, you know, safely travel to the next diamond league meet and, and contest who are some, who are some missing personalities that you just kind of wonder about. I've been waiting to see Wade Van Neeker. So right. since winning, so he broke the, the 400 meter record in 2016 at the Olympics of forty three zero three. So incredibly fast from South Africa. Right. He's like and, the least, he's like the least famous greatest runner of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the only ones in the sub 10, sub 20, sub uh, 44 club in the 100, 200, 400, but he's had a really rough go since then. So he almost, the the thing that people remember about him is that he tore his ACL a year after the Olympics, I think playing soccer and that was potentially career ending, but apparently he's recovered and he was back training. And the rumor was that he was fit and he was ready to tackle this year's diamond league. And then he tested positive for COVID earlier yeah. this year. And then they found out that the test was a false positive. He got a second test and he actually tested negative. So now we're thinking that there's nothing wrong with him at this point, but we still haven't seen him. Right. So I'm just waiting. I'd love to because see, um, it's, it's, uh, I think the 400, the flat 400, uh, is, is pretty much up for grabs on the men's side. And he would, he would come in and just, you kind of have a field day and the same could be said on the women's side. So you have Salwa I Nasser. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. She's a 22 year old Bahraini 400 meter runner 
defending world champion. And she's been running routinely in the 48s. Haven't seen her, haven't heard of her. Um, and, and the 400s so far have been won in around 50. So it seems like it would be wide open for her. So I'm wondering if she's planning to make an appearance in the next meet. We still have five Diamond League meets that are still planned to go, still on the schedule. Um, so plenty of time. And a few others I'm thinking of as well. Genzebe Dababa, I haven't heard much from her. She was pretty much the the mid-distance to distance running queen a few years ago before Safan Hassan came and, and uh, kind of raised hell and broke some records. Um, but I haven't heard of her this year. And uh, one of my favorite runners to follow as well, Matt Centrowitz, the American. Uh, not uh, call, call him my spirit animal. That's dangerous. Um, I don't know if uh, he's planning to race either, but I haven't. I haven't heard from him. So I think these are the four that I'm thinking about right now that I'd like to see on the scene. Hopefully do soon. I, yeah. If, if nothing else, we need to see more Centrowitz in order for more, more of his IG fodder. Uh, it's his, his oh, Instagram he's, he's, is he's active on Instagram. I'd like to see him on the track. He wins at Instagram <laughs> for some, for All some, right. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. All right, guys. Uh, <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, for joining me again, and uh, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter if you've not already, thexc.substack.com, and follow us on social media at thexc.org. Until next time, hopefully we don't. Hopefully there hasn't been some sort of crazy announcement that there's like a New York City marathon in Central Park with all the other elite athletes that was just announced as we were doing this podcast and in isolation here, but uh, I doubt that will happen. Uh, But hopefully it, hopefully it does actually. And then we can talk about this again until next time, guys.